0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the director of I'm No Longer Here, Fernando Ríos de la Para. Hey,
1: Tercos! We're tarlocos. <laughs> Ni siquiera te esperaron, culo! No más güey, yo no sabía, güey. ¿Ves? Por andarle pegándole la mamada, jugándole el malandrito. Ya le c***aste la vida a toda tu familia. Y no quiero que te comuniques con nadie.
0: Sí, ¿quiere hablar?
1: Eh, quiero mandar un saludo con mi raza. ¿Cómo no? Con todo gusto, caralito. ¿De dónde nos llamas? acá, de Nueva York. Caray, ¡Qué internacionales!
0: Esta paga la canción, ve. Vamos a bailar. 16.
2: How old are you 17.
0: ¿Tienes otro lugar donde ir? Lo veo.
2: Any way that I can take your photograph just like that? Hey, he doesn't speak English. So where are you calling me from? Are you in Mexico? Are you in LA? Where are
1: you? I am in New York. I'm in Brooklyn, and uh, it's snowing kind of heavily right now.
2: Oh God, is it still snowing?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's been it's been all going all all day.
2: You know. I had a friend. Uh, I had a friend's roommate. Who um, last week or two weeks ago when it snowed, he um, went outside for a walk, slipped and broke his leg, went to the hospital, and then insisted on trying to walk himself out with ah. on crutches instead of being wheeled out. And he slipped in the parking lot on the ice and fell and broke his shoulder. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I feel bad for him. But at that point, um, I, I guess he kind of brought it on himself. Of course.
1: That's crazy, man. You know, I mean, they say that uh, the lessons you don't learn, like the, the universe will put, uh, give it to you until you learn them, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, something like that. So do you yeah. live in New York full time now?
1: Um, uh, I don't even know what full time is anymore with this world right now but um also I don't know where I live i my things are here um I don't have many belongings but what i have is it's here because i moved here 10 years ago um for is it 10 11 for for a master's program for university mm-hmm. um and then you know I wanted to stay here until I, I made the film which is done and that's why we're talking but um i I have to say, I've been gone a lot. I spent a lot of time in South America, in Brazil and Argentina, but also in Mexico, uh, I spent some time. Uh, And right now, I just came back last week after not being here since uh, middle of September.
2: Now, where were you you for the last six months? Let me track back for that, because the film got released
1: in, in, well, the film premiered in Mexico at the end of 2019, around October. From there, I I was traveling with it a little bit. uh, And then uh, I was presenting the film in Argentina, precisely in February. And then when I came back to New York, they announced the lockdown and that, that was March 11. And I was here from March until September. And then I just needed to, you know, like, go somewhere and I went to Mexico at that point it was safe and, and good. so I went to a little town in um, in the um, Mar de Cortes in the south of Cal- of Baja California Sur. and then uh, I went to Mexico only for a couple of days Mexico City and my mom got the damn virus and oh, I no. ended up staying taking care of her yeah. for all all November and a little bit of December and then um once then once once she healed uh, mexico was really bad and again i went to argentina for a project um and from there i went to north carolina and i was there a little bit over a month uh, shooting something and i just finished it just a, a tv show a couple of episodes of a tv show and i just came back here to new york after not being here for so long
2: you never got the virus yourself did you
1: no, and and you don't know you don't know how many many tests I've I've had. You know, I was shooting in North Carolina, and I was tested every day. And before, when I was with my mom, I was tested every every three days or something. And and yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And and my brother also had it, and his family. Mm-hmm. And when everybody got it, my brother and his family and my mom, uh, I was there, and 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 uh, I, I was the only one who didn't get it. You know.
2: That is so lucky. Where were you shooting in North Carolina?
1: In Wilmington.
2: Oh, I love Wilmington. Uh, the beach probably isn't great there in the winter. But... It is. I mean,
1: I I imagine it's much better in the summer, but it it is. So I'm glad you're familiar. It's it's really nice. I really like it.
2: The yeah, I, I went to, I went to college in North Carolina, so oh. I, I know the area well.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, I was excited to see that they they had a a Michael Jordan freeway.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I could talk about this stuff all day, but let's talk about your wonderful movie. Oh, thank Um, you very much. Of course. So the first thing I was curious about is, you know, this, this is a film that, even though it's kind of a coming of age story, it's very large in scope and scale. So tell me a little bit about getting financing, and just generally kind of willing a very international film like this that's shot in two different countries into existence?
1: Well, yeah, that's that's a, a really good question, because it it is big, and, but at the same time, it was done not like a big film, you know? Actually, we had to stop for one full year after having shot Monterrey and wait, to shoot uh new york you know and in new york we mm-hmm. had like only 13 days with almost non non no crew you know Damian, the cinematographer and one of my best friends in life he was saying like man this is this is uh smaller than any short uh, student short film i ever did you know <laughs> and, and it was really tough in new york and and then i think um yeah it was an ambitious project for something that it's like Anti coming of age or coming of age, you know. Um, uh, anti coming of age w- was how my a, a, a screenwriter who read the script told me. Like it, it's such a coming of age, but like in and it's making a point of not coming of age. You know, of the kid not really being able to to do so um, because of the circumstances. So, but coming back to the um, to the scale of the project, for me it was really important to to frame the 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 film in in this real context because we're talking about very a very particular moment in time in a place and you know a, a countercultural movement that needed a lot of uh, it, we we had to recreate everything you know the, the the costumes and because precisely the film talks about how this this movement vanished you know after the war on drugs mm-hmm. um so at the beginning it all started. When I, I have different ideas in my head, and then it just uh, they started to become one, you know, uh, like drops of mercury, you know, and yeah. they, they joined, you know. And then um, I remember I was traveling with another film in a festival in London and uh, and there was, it was there was a deadline for a, for a argument uh, or treatment contest in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first edition of that contest, and, and and that was the night. And I and I just stayed at the at the place I was staying, and I just typed all night. And I sent it. Three months later, they told me that I, because you had to apply with a with a pseudonym. Uh, the organizers called me. They opened the folder officially with that said my real name. They called me and they said that I got the award. And I felt happy because it was that first, you know, thing. It was nothing, you know, a little bit of money um, but definitely something. And from there on, Will, I started to collect little, little development grants here and there, you know, I went to the Sundance lab in 2014 and, and that was good enough to get, uh, um, I don't know, a 2,500, uh, development grant that, uh, that I used to go to Monterrey for the fifth time and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and talk to more g- guys. And so it was, it grew like a, like a snow snowball, you know, like, uh, uh, we applied to the in 2015 to the Mexican uh, film fund, but it's highly competitive and right. and we didn't get it the first time in one 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 kind of fund in which the Mexican uh, Film institute owes the film and that's very competitive. And then there's another one that it's more with the tax incentives, you know, and taxpayers that we applied in 2016 and by by then, we had so many like little uh, accolades and little things, you know, that uh, we got that part and that was good enough to secure production in Monterrey. Uh, we thought that was going to be enough to, to also secure uh, some part of, of the production in New York. We were wrong. <laughs> and then, uh, so it was like a, it was like a ongoing battle, you know, like struggling with it a lot of the time. Then when we edit the film, we got uh, several several um very solid uh, grants for work in progress like many you know uh, uh, even even when we were we had only shot half the film we applied to work in, pro- work in in progress uh contest and we got them here in new york we got an amazing uh, panavision uh, grant like we got that in we, san francisco film uh society gave us an incredible post-production grant. So, I mean, if you see the credit, you'll see a rage. I mean, now I feel bad that I'm saying names. I'm, I'm missing some others, but there were so many, you know, film festivals themselves, you know?
2: Well, the good news is uh, if, if you guys win the Oscar, you'll be able to uh, prepare and remember all the people you need to thank then, <laughs> so. <laughs> Even if I forget the name, I in that
1: circumstance, I wouldn't care. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: So one thing I was curious about then kind of tying in with the difficulties of getting financing for shooting in New York, was it difficult getting visas to get your main actor over here as well? Um, It was not difficult. It was
1: impossible. Um, So I am here in your country with an O-1 visa, you know, which is like they call it the Extraordinary Abilities Alien, which is Mm -hmm. a very odd name, you know? Uh, but I'm I'm an alien and uh, uh, and and so uh, I with that visa, imagine you are a choreographer and you are going to present a, a, a dance piece here and you need to bring a dancer, so you mm-hmm. get him a visa that ex, that that uh, hangs from your visa. It's called an O2, of course, you know O1 O2, um, and the O2 we we. Hired an immigration lawyer, incredible, and 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 she had helped many friends of ours, you know, uh, with production and stuff, and and I mean, with all of the things that I mentioned before, in terms of like the grants and stuff, we had a very strong case, and we applied for the for Juan Daniel's visa, and he got it approved immediately, immediately. All he needed was to go. Um, to go to the embassy or a consulate and get it stamped in his passport. Here comes like the biggest drama, you know, like the biggest problem. Uh right. oof. Um the the thing is, when we shot in Monterrey, Juan Daniel was 17. and uh, so that's not the majority of age in Mexico, it's 18 mm-hmm. for legal documents, right? Okay. So in order for him to get a passport, we needed his parents to sign. But there was an issue with the birth an issue with the birth certificate of his father. And this is December two thousand and seventeen. So we said, uh, well, let's wait because Derek, Juan Daniel, he will be eighteenth in february twenty seven. Let's just mm-hmm. wait at, at the end of February once his major majority reaches majority of age, he will be able to to get a passport himself alone. And then he will go to the embassy and get the stamp and be ready to come and shoot in New York during the summer, if we get the money at that point, you know. And so uh, February comes, he gets his, uh, in order to get his passport, he needs another uh, official ID. And it was a nightmare to get that because it was a year of elections. In, and okay. so it's a voting card. So he couldn't get the voting card because the, the system was already closed because that we have elections coming for president. Mm-hmm. And, and so we moved uh, earth and heaven, uh, and we finally got him to get his ID. And with that ID, he got his passport. He got his passport. He goes to Mexico City, to the, to the consulate. Uh, we do a training with him, you know, to the embassy. Training with him about like he's going, what he's gonna say and this and that. He goes to the interview. They don't even let him speak, and it's immediately rejected.
2: Oh my god,
1: that's strange. So he goes back again for the second time. We hire somebody who who tell him possible possible questions, and we have this all these letters and stuff. Rejected again. Boom. Then he goes. That was in Guadalajara. Then he goes for a third one, and. Well, if he blew the third one not blue because it was not up to him it was if he got it rejected the third time he wouldn't be able to apply in 10 years oh my back god at the time i had already held the film in the can i couldn't walk my back was in such pain out of stress for like finding financing being able yeah. to bring him home bring him i'm bringing bring him to new york i'm sorry and everything so it's really really stressful times and he goes for the third one but then also, our lawyer had uh, um, got gotten transcripts of the interviews, and and to be honest, they were really this a lot of discriminatory questions, you know, aimed for him to fail, you know, uh, mm. really really tricky questions that I would I wouldn't pass myself, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I remember one that said like, oh, it's here that you're also going besides acting, you're also going to help them clean set for example i don't remember exactly the words and he was like yes well we're we're like a team we're like small family and if they need me i'll throw a hand oh you cannot work in other than your field rejected oh my you know God.
2: Oh really my God. really
1: yeah and then and then the third time he get he goes and gets it rejected but i told him uh Juan daniel whatever they tell you just don't open your mouth just show <laughs> this letter show and it was a letter from like Everyone, you know, like in one letter, I have the signatures from everyone and their mothers. You know, like a a congresswoman in New York, uh, Sundance, Mexican Film Fund. You know, Toulouse Film Festival. Everything, everything, everything. You know, Uh, we have photos of him on set. We have like it was like a 250 pages uh, document. Like he he called it like the brick that he was carrying around with him. You know, and he got it rejected, and it was the third time. And he's about to leave. He's crying, and and he said that the guy rejected him but then someone comes and tells him hey wait a minute and then um, he goes back in and it's like wait here and then a, a woman comes and tells him your visa is approved and but it was it was so stressful and let me just tell you i know it's taking me a, a, a while to respond just one question but there's <laughs> i directed the show Los the spookies for hbo mm-hmm. and there's an episode in which uh, the protagonist Get a, um, get a job with a, with one of their uncles, which is played by Fred Armisen, and mm-hmm. and and Fred's character tells them, "Yeah, you have to come to LA, and and you will be able to work here in this show, uh, in this film, uh, with this great filmmaker that you admire." And and they they want to go, but they cannot get their visas. And that was inspired by my situation, you know. <laughs> oh God!
2: <clears throat> oh, well, I'm glad you finally figured it out. I mean, that would have been awful if he couldn't get here to New York at all. Um, oh, I cannot tell you what I was
1: imagining already, you know?
2: <laughs> it's just like a horrible recast mid-movie?
1: No, no, no. Like, like, no, it, the film is him. But like, uh, you know, like other all, all all, all things that I... Ah, I don't you know, like that.
2: Smuggle men or something. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know,
1: like everything crossed my mind at that point, you know? Don't you know the you
2: even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. see you soon obviously he you know he is the movie and he'd never acted before i assume Uh, tell me a little bit about working with kind of non-actors and finding the right people for these roles
1: of course, when we work with them, they were already professional actors. We have like a summer camp and, mm-hmm. uh, and training and, and they were so good, you know, like Damien, the cinematographer was concerned that the that the language we chose of like not really moving the camera that much and, and will 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 rely on, on performance and, and, and actors hitting their marks and, and blocking. And, and the first day he was impressed by the kids, you know, because uh, he, he was not there for the rehearsals but i i was there i i rehearsed with them for 3 months and it was not only about acting techniques or or character construction but it was also like like becoming friends and family you know like uh, building bridges you know uh, for mutual access emotional access to each other and their lives were for for the most part complicated so 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 we became a, a little bit of a support for them so that they could come and 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 Train and rehearse with us, and I have to say that, as you know, as you can see in the film, it's about this fast expiring youth. And by by their young ages, they have already lived so much, so they have a a a big sense of maturity or a big sense of experience. Uh, And maybe just like in the film, you know, like the the the, maybe maybe the the um, the kids in the gangs, they cannot verbally or they don't verbally articulate. an eloquent response to to what they what they are uh, living, but uh, their their persona and their their choices in life of like their cost their their hair, their clothes, the way they dance, their changing of the name, their association in gangs. You know that is way more eloquent than any other thing could be. You know it's responding to something directly. You know to the to a. Uh, 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 systemat- systematic uh, stigmatization, systematic mm-hmm. marginalization—you know, generation after generation. So, so it's it's a it's a movement about resistance, about dignity, and about belonging. And 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 working with them, uh, it was it was uh, incredible. It behind each of them, there's an, an amazing story of how we we ran into each other uh, mutually, how they found the film and the film found them. Um, but there were like really nice moments, uh, and, and I remember, uh, things that we didn't really plan and, but we were there and, and hanging and, and I know that we wanted to discuss feelings and, and emotions. So I would have interviews with each of them separately, you know, and then when we were all together, for example, one day I, we would say like, uh, like imagine colors, you know, like, uh, these four colors, you know, or now imagine this. Uh, for emotions you know like uh, joy sadness anger and fear so let's assign each each color to each uh, uh, to each feeling or each emotion and then i would ask is it possible to be happy and sad at the same time and they would say no but then we were like, well, yes, if like if you combine these two colors, there's a new color and then you can be happy and sad. And that's kind of like nostalgia, you know, like you're sad of missing something, but happy yeah. for, for, for the memories that it brings to you. And they were like, oh, of course. And that would trigger and detonate a lot of them sharing a lot of experiences. So the film and the script benefited from them. And, and some characters were like some kids came, saw the, saw the character, that the way it was written and took it 100% like that and made it just incredible. While, whereas others just transformed the character completely and, the, and to uh, to the point in which I had to change the name of the character in the script, the the role, the gender, everything, because like, you know, uh, so there was not just one case, everything, it was just like, there, there was a little bit of everything, you know?
2: Yeah. Now, what about the hairstyles? Did you let them kind of decide how they wanted to look? Did you have ideas for some of these hairs going in, or what? Yeah, so so we had done like
1: plenty of research by then about the, like like the most characteristic thing for sure. It's like the the sideburns, right? The mm-hmm. uh, and the amount of gel. So that that was the starting point. Um, with the girls, we we allowed them one hundred percent to to choose what they wanted. Although one of them didn't really like her her style but she would she would just say oh i don't like anything it looks terrible on me but she will deeply she would love it and everyone was very happy she was she was uh, the one that looks incredible uh to everyone's eye and and um, so that was just like she was 15 and just being 15 you know um, and <laughs> for the boys we tried different things we tried you know uh until we we did the, uh, I remember Juan Daniel. We had a day for for hair tests, and me and Elena were talking about things. And then I said, "Well, I like this, but then let's have that. And then uh, this that you make, and this other character, the, the 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 bangs that are almost like a helmet. Can we put mm-hmm. that? And the, the 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 this this like kind of like fire crown that other kid has. Let's put that on him. You know, like, a little bit. So Ulises has a little bit of everything. And Juan Daniel says, "Wait, I have an uh, an idea too. I love, you know, like a, like the he has a, like a thin line, um, like a stroke around his back part. And he said that's called the rosary, you know. And I have mm-hmm. seen it in some guys. It's like a like a rosary, you know, like the things used to to pray. And, yeah, I went um, to Catholic
2: school, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I know exactly. that.
1: So 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 he had the rosary. He had the crown with the flames and the bangs." and and it just happened very naturally and there was another kid who was hilarious he the guy who dies in the in the film is uh, mm-hmm. who a who has like like a Duracell Duracell uh battery pack you know like a half half blonde died and half uh, dark black mm-hmm. and he didn't like it and everybody loved it and he didn't like it and he was just telling me I cannot go back home like this. I'm going (laughs) to get bullied, yada, yada. But then it all, it all ended up resulting in all he wanted is production to buy him like a a new era baseball cap, which he got, and he was very happy, you know? Uh, Yeah. So
2: everyone was, there was a story behind each one of them, you know? God, that's, I mean, that honestly could be a documentary in itself trying to build (laughs) those characters. Um, So how did you decide to go on this non-linear style for telling the story?
1: So that came in 2015. Um, after I, I went to the Sundance Lab with the script in, in, um, over the summer of 2014. And a year after I was doing a rewrite and I was talking to a friend of mine who is a novelist. And, and he told me, I have the feeling that Monterrey is like so new and so unique that if you start the film with uh, with with uh, with the Monterrey and then New York, which we've seen film so many times, you know, uh, you might lose traction, you know, because that mm-hmm. world itself is so rich. And I was like, okay, yeah, but that's why I want the audience to also miss what this guy is missing, you know. But, uh, but then that just like left a little seed of, of an idea in my head, what Antonio told me. Afterwards, I was dealing with um, with with having to to be very logical about how did he cross and and you know and very didactic, you know and 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 not so much room for being elliptical. And mm-hmm. I remember like throwing all of the cards of the of the outline and said like I'm just gonna treat this as a puzzle, you know and from and i reached out to that friend who's a novelist and i told him what if this if we break the structure and we go back and forth and he said that's incredible because that way you can be elliptical all of the time and and yeah i mean for that for the from there on it was always like that you know
2: so there's um you were talking about what a fantastical world it is kind of in monterey and there's i think the the shot that most stuck with me in the film is it's this this overhead and it starts kind of sweeping across the city lights and you uh-huh. hear this kind of guttural, almost a distorted version of the uh-huh. music coming up and then it slowly pulls down onto the dance floor. Exactly. Uh, tell me a little bit about that moment because it's really stuck with me.
1: Oh, thanks. I love that moment too. And it's one of my favorites. Originally, that was the opening uh, opening scene. And um, so I, I was fascinated by the idea of like, you know, like Monterrey uh, is one of the most contrasted place in the world. And it, it has the richest municipality in, 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 in all Latin America, but it's also like home of this very poor settlements, you know, and in the mm-hmm. same hill, you have both worlds. People from this rich, uh, I don't know, segregated communities, gated communities wanted to build a tunnel a tunnel so that they could drive without without having to see the 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 settlements you know that's yeah. really horrible it's very classist. but i was fascinated by by the landscape uh looking at the top view of like all this light in this part of the city and there's this darkness 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 and then the settlements on the top of at the top of the hill It's also very interesting because Monterrey's weather, it's 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 uh, it's tough, you know, it's like Texas. Uh, So it's dry, it's cold at night, it's super hot during the day. And uh, and Monterrey being the first industrial city in Latin America was uh, needed a lot of like immigrant hand labor. And these immigrants who came, they knew how to read nature. They knew they knew uh, uh, and they they settled themselves at the top of the hills where there's more air you know whereas like other people and the buses and stuff is settled in the in the plains you know Mm -hmm. and um, so this is a very interesting landscape and that shot was planned to be uh, like like it is you know but we have first my idea it was like having a drone fly over the the city lights as you see it then having that pitch black pitch black and and how like without moving 1 centimeter the the angle of the camera of the drone you would be from like a super top view of like this illuminated but still lonely uh, feeling of this uh, urban landscape and then mm-hmm. you go to this very dark but very communal and alive and joyful, and like another kind of world, and to say like this is around, this is like the periphery, but this is alive and booming, you know. And and uh, and the drone would con- like, and it would like, you know, without changing the altitude, it would go directly into a close up of, of the of the face of the kid, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just to, to to show this distance. And um, then it turned out that there was like this incredibly high frequency antennas, and that couldn't allow us to fly a drone. So we brought this crane and the crane also collapsed with the with the with the radiation coming from, from the antennas. So we just this we Damian had this idea of doing just the pan, you know, uh-huh. and then we just land. Uh, and it's basically the idea that we have, but that that shot, that one and the end and the ending were the, the two things that I have uh, clear since the beginning. You know, it was the beginning and the ending, actually. Yeah. Wait, wait, you said the crane collapsed. Well, not collapse as, as like it 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 bring, it came down, but it was it was starting. The movement was starting, and then at, at the middle it will start to crank like crack crack crack. You know, oh, it will, yeah, it will become crazy
2: with the with the interference. Oh man! Well, I mean, honestly, the pan worked well. Um, there's another shot again that where you used, I think a uh, a very long lens. So he's dancing and it starts mm-hmm. when he's, uh, it fades in where he's sitting on the couch. And then you can see kind of in a dissolve, the shot of him dancing while the camera's also moving and showing the faces of everyone else in the gang yes. behind him. And uh-huh. you can see the mountains behind him. Tell me a little bit about that shot.
1: So, so the, the crane was not working. If that shot, the the day the, the shot that you mentioned uh, before, uh, mm-hmm. that scene uh, was the last last day in Monterrey, the last day of the shoot. Okay. We were we were not being able to figure out how to how to work uh, with the pan or with the uh, or with the with the crane, so uh, we had time to to do other stuff and we had to wait for the night and where while while the technical. Uh, crew members were were dealing with the possibilities of the crane and stuff. I told Damian, "Let's. I want to reshoot uh, something because I have a different idea." Because there was there's another party, uh, dance party, but we were supposed to shoot in Mexico, in uh, in August and July, August. But then uh, we were late because of production issues. And we had to push until September. And then September is the one and only month in Monterrey that rains. And it was oh. raining so much. So one of the parties, dance parties that, like the second dance party, in which a girl comes and asks him to take a picture with him. And for me, it was like a, an evolution to the tercos because now for the first time, the the guy who is the announcer, the the, the BJ, the DJ, mm-hmm. he's saying the name of the tercos and the and, and reading the, their 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 flag or i don't know how to call it um their banner if you want mm-hmm. um, that one was raining a lot so so we had and it we had such a beautiful location but we had to put something there you know like a a tarp and and it didn't look the way i wanted it to look and i couldn't shoot as much as i wanted there because it was it was raining and i needed all these little pieces of this for this uh, moment that you're describing so while we were so the last day of the shoot while we were waiting on the crane uh, Damian said I'm gonna set a dolly here and I said that sure and, and and I had Juan Daniel, and I said eh, just dance and and I I always love this um this documentary called into the great Silence I don't know if you've seen it about I think I uh, have. It, it's an incredible documentary uh, about monks um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cartouche. and and they, there's a moment in which all of them look at the camera you know well one by one, it's just an observational documentary, but it's beautiful. They're looking at the camera. And I remember those portraits stayed with me for, for a while. So as he was dancing, I I brought one by one the kids and put them there and tell them to look at the camera, you know, because it was going to be his memory, you know. Uh, uh, and yeah, and we combined those two.
2: I think we're about out of time. So <laughs> um, I just wanted to say it. it, it is a beautiful wonderful film. Um, And I really appreciate you bringing such a different story about the immigrant journey and giving such a different sort of gang story too, that really has bucked a lot of these cinematic stereotypes. Before we go, is there any one thing you would love people to take away from this film? Absolutely. And I think that one thing is what you just said.
1: You know the cinematic <laughs> stereotypes, really, no question, and defy those conventions. You know, uh, like I feel like film, other than than telling stories, also shows the possibility has the possibility of showing uh, new angles into things. You know, N- new ways of look at, of looking at things at, at the world and its phenomena.
2: Well, you certainly did that, and it's you know I can't wait to see what you do next. And uh, thank, thank you very for much giving us this film. Thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you, William. Same here. All right. Have a great day. Okay, Bye.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the director for I'm No Longer Here, Fernando Frieste de la Para here on the Next Best Picture podcast. I'm No Longer Here is currently shortlisted for Best International Feature Film at the 93rd Academy Awards. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. If you are feeling generous, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Would you can lend on over at Patreon? For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, and we shall see you all next time.